In the name of the Father, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Bible study tonight from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 14. Actually, in chapter 12 and 13, we noticed a repeated reference to food and meals in the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and in his parables. This trend in his teaching to use food and meals started actually after the banquet to which he was invited at the home of a Pharisee and this was attended by many Pharisees and scribes where our Lord Jesus Christ condemned them for their hypocrisy. This was in chapter 11, Luke chapter 11. 12 and 13, the Lord used the meals and the food uh, as a way of teaching in his sayings and also in his parables. Also, the Lord continue the same trend in chapter 14 that we'll study tonight. After another meal in the home of a leading Pharisee, one of the rulers. And he concluded this trend in his teaching with parable of the great feast in chapter 14. And of course, each of these references to food and meals in the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ remind us with the heavenly food, the bread and wine that becomes the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. It is the food we are called to humbly eat at the altar. That is the Lord's banquet but also we need to eat it with special care in order not to abuse the gift of God toward us. The outline of this chapter, we can divide it into five passages. From verse 1 to 6, a man healed on the Sabbath. From 7, 7 to 14, take the lowly place. From 15 to 24, the parable of the Great Supper, from 25 to 33, leaving all to follow Christ, then the last two verses, 34 and 35, tasteless salt is worthless. So let's start from verse 1. Now it happened as he, Jesus, went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees. So not just any Pharisee, one of the rulers of the Pharisees, to eat bread on the Sabbath. So this was invitation on the Sabbath. That they watched him closely. So the house into which the Lord entered the Sabbath belonged to one of the rulers most probably influential rabbi, a man of great wealth, 
or a member of the Sanhedrin. Uh, and we need to notice here, although there were many disputes with the Pharisees, but the Lord still associated with them. Not to be one of them, but to show them love and show them godly example. Maybe one day he can win them to the kingdom of God. He was invited to eat bread on the Sabbath, means as a guest. Uh, and this was a usual practice. And the banquet on the Sabbath was very, very usual. But it was common uh, among the rich people, so often it was luxurious and costly. But St. Luke mentioned that the guests and the host, they watched him closely. So the invitation here looks weird. This may explain the reason of the invitation to our Lord Jesus Christ by a ruler of the Pharisee. In chapter 11, the Lord rebuked the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. So, this banquet is arranged one, to invite him and then to keep eyes on him, lying in wait to catch him with something that he might do, not according to their rules, then they will catch him with it. So, this invitation was done with bad invitation, with bad intention, not with good intention. That's why that they watched him closely. They watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. Dropsy is edema, generalized edema in the whole body. Uh, and Jesus answering, spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So, this man that has edema was actually invited guests. And why they invited him? So, to see what the Lord would do on the Sabbath. You can see how everything is arranged. They invited him on Sabbath, invited many Pharisees and lawyers. Lawyers, not attorneys. Lawyers mean people who interpret the law. And then they invited this man with dropsy to see how the Lord would do, would act. Would he heal him or not? If he did not heal him, then he had hardened heart. If he healed him, then he broke the Sabbath. So this invitation was to, to this man was to provoke Jesus in doing something that they may accuse him with. As I told you, dropsy was abnormal accumulation of fluid in the connective tissues or cavities of the body that cause swelling, enlargement, and pain of the whole body of the whole body. Here, the Lord, of course, 
he foreknew their intention. It was very easy for him to decline the invitation, but he did not decline the invitation. He did not avoid their trap, but he used this opportunity of healing this man as another opportunity to teach them on the correct interpretation of the law. So here the Lord, knowing their intention, he challenged them by asking two questions. That's why it is written here, Jesus answering. There was no question, but he is answering to their intentions. So what is the first question? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And here we can see the Lord took the initiative and he answered their, their unspoken thoughts. He answered their intentions. But they could not answer this question. That's why in verse 4, but they kept silent. Because how, how they can answer such a question? And he took him, took the man, and healed him and let him go. So what could they say? If they had pressed the meaningless restriction that they added on the Sabbath, no, you cannot heal him, they felt that they will be crushed by one of the Lord's deep and powerful arguments, and they cannot answer him. So they had hoped that he would heal him without asking the question, so they can catch him as one who broke the Sabbath. But his calm question confused them. So he simply healed the man, and the man was completely well. And this was a remarkable miracle. How come? Tropsy affected the man's appearance. All his body was swollen. So after healing, the man's appearance immediately was transformed. All this swelling was gone. So everybody saw the miracle with their own eyes. Uh, so the Lord, after healing him, he asked the second question. Then he answered them saying, which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath, and they could not answer him regarding these things. So after healing the man, the Lord asked them the second question about if your donkey or ox had fallen into a pit, into a pit, would you pull him out or leave him? Why don't they answer the Lord? Because the logic that the Lord used here was very simple, but so powerful that it was impossible to dispute his logic. If it was allowed to help animals on the Sabbath, how much more was it, was it right to heal people who were created in the image of God? If they say they would, would let their son or ox die, then they are heartless and wicked. 
But if they say they would save their son or expensive animal even on the Sabbath, then they proved that they are hypocrites because they are accusing the Lord Jesus Christ on breaking by breaking the law because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. Uh, so he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places saying to them. So, dining at a formal banquet like this one adopted the Greek custom of a symposium. So, the guests recline on couches that are placed around the table. But the placement of the guests was according to the guest rank or social status. So this was a formal banquet by one of the rulers. So the Lord noticed that some of the guests were assuming for themselves a status within the company by choosing the best places at the banquet table. And before in chapter 11, the Lord rebuked the Pharisees for their arrogant practice of expecting the best seats in the synagogues. So the Lord said to hear a parable. As we read in verse 7, he told them a parable. Although when you look at it, it doesn't look at a parable. It looks like an advice when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, etc. But why St. Luke identifies the comment as a parable and not just as a teaching? Because when he says a parable, this means there is a spiritual teaching associated with this event. Uh, if he didn't say this is a parable, it could be mistaken as just an advice for the guests on just uh, good uh, etiquette, uh, how they should act when they are invited to a dinner party. But here it is not about etiquette at a dinner party. It's about how to live uh, humble and lowly in your life. So there is a spiritual teaching. It's not about some morals you need to follow in when you are invited into a banquet. And that's why the Lord made the, the, the teaching about if you are invited into a wedding reception. Uh, so he used the wedding as an occasion for his parable, not ordinary uh, banquet. Uh, and we need to know that parables in general are not fables, because Jesus didn't tell imaginary stories with morals, but he took real life situations familiar to all and used them to bring forth God's truth especially for those open to hear 
his teaching. And a wedding party reception was the most important social occasion in Jewish life at that time. And still actually, until now, the reception of the wedding is one of the most important social occasion. So the Lord told them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher, then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. So, if one takes the most honored place for himself, he may be asked to be removed if the host would rather have someone else sit there. So, Jesus reminded them of the shame that often comes with self-exaltation, when you exalt yourself and then the host uh, lower your place. So, what is the spiritual teaching here? It's not as I told you about moral, but, or etiquette. When we allow others, especially God, to promote and lift us up, then we don't have the same danger of being exposed as someone who exalted himself and then he was lowered with shame. That's why the Lord told us, take the lowest place, showing that you are not desirous of distinction or desirous of that honor which may probably belong to you. Then the Lord said, if you take the lowest place and you are elevated, you will have honor. They who are sitting with you shall treat you with respect. They will learn your rank by your being invited nearer to the head of the table when they tell you, no, come sit in this better place. And it will be better to learn it thus than by putting yourself forward. Instead of putting yourself forward, it's better they elevate you. So they will honor you because you have shown a humble spirit. Again, the Lord was not merely teaching good manners, but lifestyle. That, as St. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than the himself. Then the Lord gives the spiritual teaching in verse 11. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. When we seek to take honor to ourselves, we will always be humbled, 
If not on earth, then for all of eternity. But there is a promise of exaltation here for the humble and humiliation for the proud, which will actually happen in eternity. So we may choose the low place and act meek and humble so that others may notice how humble we okay. No, sorry. Some of us may take the lowest place and act as if they are meek and humble with the intention that others may notice how humble we are. This is not true humbleness. This is actually a deceitful form of spiritual pride that's very dangerous. I am acting like humble to be praised by others, to, be, to tell the other, notice, see how humble I am. But behind this outwardly humbleness, there is uh, pride and arrogance inside. This reminds me with a story in the paradise of monks. A monk came to St. Anthony the Great, and then he insisted to sit at the feet of St. Anthony. And St. Anthony asked him several times to sit next to him, but he refused. And he begged St. Anthony to give him a word of advice. And this monk was known about him that he doesn't sit in his cell, but he wanders from one place to another place, from one monastery to another monastery. So St. Anthony the Great gave him the advice. And he told him, it's better for the monk to be at his cell and not to move from his cell from one place to another place. Because monk is like fish. When you take the fish outside the water, it dies. Monk outside his cell dies spiritually. Once he gave him the advice, this monk became so angry and so defensive. So St. Anton told him, then where is this humbleness? You acted in humbleness. You want to sit at my feet. You, want, you refuse to sit next to me. And when I give you an advice, you became so defensive, so angry, then this humbleness was fake one, false one. And he hid behind this fake humbleness a prideful soul. So, he gave an advice to the guests. Now he wants to give an advice to the host himself. So verse 12, then he also said to him who invited him, the host, when you give a dinner or a supper, don't ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, 
the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And again, here there is a spiritual teaching. Again, it's not about manners or about etiquette, but spiritual teaching. So, what is the advice that he gave to the host? The Lord observed that the guests consisted of such persons who are mostly, if not all of them, drawn from the upper class of the Jewish society. And the banquet was luxurious and costly. So, what is the point here? What is the spiritual teaching? It is a teaching on how to store up for yourself a treasure in heaven. So, basically, the Lord is telling us if you associate or deal with people on the basis of what they could do for you. So I'm doing you a favor because I know that you can return the favor. So this is a self-centered living. But we are called to follow Jesus. And the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated to us others-centered living. So the works of righteousness that God reward are those in which there is no earthly reward. When you do favor for somebody, but this person cannot repay you back. So there is no earthly reward. Hidden acts of mercy reap eternal reward. So, if his host, who consider himself to be righteous, he is a ruler of the Pharisees, really wants to be judged as righteous by God and to receive God's blessing, he will invite those who cannot repay him. He will be merciful to those who cannot repay him. Then one of the guests, when he heard this, now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. So one of those who were partaking of the banquet and had witnessed the whole scene now speaking. So this quiet observer noticing the remarks of the Lord, and these remarks touched his heart about the reward of the just in eternal life. So he was pleased, and his heart was touched by this. So now he said, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. These words don't seem to have been spoken in mocking spirit. So he said this word sincerely, genuinely. Uh, he was ad, yeah, in, in great admiration to the Lord Jesus Christ. Although Jesus was hated by the Pharisees, but this one actually 
admire the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Lord responded by the parable of the Great Supper that we'll just read it right now. But when we understand the parable of the Great Supper, we know that this person, although he said this comment genuinely, sincerely, but it also reflects the the prideful spirit of this one. How come? Actually, as if he was saying, yes, this blessedness that I am saying, blessed is he who comes, who, who eats bread in your kingdom, I am looking forward confidently to share in it, because I am righteous, I am a Pharisee. How happy will it be for us, the Jew, especially the Pharisees, when the time comes for us to sit down at the banquet in the kingdom of heaven. So as if he said, blessed are we when we sit at your banquet or at the banquet of God because you don't believe Jesus is God, at the banquet of God in the kingdom of heaven and we eat bread. So the Pharisee believed that his destiny is secured for him. The Pharisees in general judged themselves as righteous because of their strict adherence to the law of Moses. Also, they were the descendant of Abraham So they said, we are heirs of the covenant promise to Abraham. God made covenant with Abraham and we are heirs of these promises. That's why the Lord replied by this parable. Then he said to him, so God directed this parable to this man who said, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man, God, gave a great supper and invited many. The first invitation here was to Israel, the Jews. And sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. So this is actually the love of money, ground. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me executed. Symbolizes actually the worries of the world. Still said, another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So what is the common excuse among the three, the common factor? They were busy. Nothing wrong in buying a land, nothing wrong in buying oxen, nothing wrong in getting married, but they were busy, busy for God. 
So that so that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, that second invitation, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. The first group represents the Israel. Second group represents actually the outcast of Israel, the tax collector, the adulteress, these people who actually uh, were not respected by the Pharisees and the lawyers. That's the second invitation. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out. Now he's going outside the city, Go, going outside Israel, into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in. The third invitation for the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. So what is the message here to this man who told him, blessed is he who eats bread in your kingdom? The parable with which the Lord answered the remark of this guest contains much and varied teaching for all the ages of the church. But in the first instance, it replies to the speaker's word when he said, Blessed indeed are they who sit down at the heavenly feast. Because I told you the first group represent the Pharisees. So he told them, yes, there is invitation for the Pharisees. But they declined. As if the Lord said, yes, there is invitation for you. But are you going to decline or to accept? So the Lord is telling him, you think you are one of those whom the King of Heaven has invited to the banquet. And that's true, you are invited. What have you done though with the invitation? Did you accept it or did you decline it? I know many who have received it, who have simply threw it aside. Are you one of them? You are invited to this banquet. You are invited to sit down at the banquet in heaven and you are saying blessed is he who eats bread in the banquet. What are you going to do with this invitation? So the kingdom of heaven, under the imagery of a great banquet, was a picture well known to the Jews at that age. So the guests in the Pharisee's house, for greater part, were probably highly educated men. Most of them were highly educated. So most of them actually, they grasped the meaning of the parable. They knew that the supper was heaven and the giver of the feast was God. So in the parable, God has been preparing a banquet to which the first group 
knew they were going to be invited. The first group are the religious leaders of Israel. Religious leaders of Israel. So, what is the nature of the invitation? He told them, come, for all things are now ready. What all things? So the father here is speaking, come, all things are ready. He prepared everything for the inhabitants of the earth. How he prepared everything in Christ. So, he gave us in Christ forgiveness of sins, washing away of every iniquity, partnership of the Holy Spirit or fellowship of the Holy Spirit, glorious adoption as being children of God the Father, an inheritance of the heavenly king, kingdom. So everything is ready for you. Now you just you can come. Everything is ready for you. Christ called Israel for these blessings by the gospel commandments before calling anyone else. You remember in the first commission of the twelve, he told them, don't go to the way of Gentiles, but go to the lost sheep of Israel. So the blessing of the gospel, God first called his own. But they did not appreciate the great honor and were not ready when the invitation came. And what kind of excuses they had been, they had when the invitation arrived. Excuses are different, but all of them one factor. We're busy. Uh, so the first group represent, as I told you, the righteous, the descendant of Abraham, the righteous of Israel. Those actually who uh, should be the first to recognize the invitation because they know the law, they know the prophets, they know the scripture very well. They are the religious leaders of Israel. So the first group represented by the Pharisees, scribes, and Sadducees. However, their earthly and material concern for positions, personal relationship, caused each to put their interest in these things before God. Their interest in the piece of land, in the oxen, before God. So they declined the invitation. So these are the Jews who rejected the baptism of John the Baptist. This baptism of repentance in preparation for the kingdom of heaven. And sometimes we plead that we are under a necessity to neglect our relationship with God. I have other important things. I am busy. I'm busy with my work. I'm busy with my family. I'm busy with my business. So I cannot pray. I cannot read. So the affairs of the world, they pretend, are so pressing that they cannot find time to attend to their souls. They have no time to pray, read the scripture, go to church, keep up the worship of God. So 
they are actually losing their souls because of the affairs of the world. God cannot accept such excuses for neglecting our spiritual needs. He commanded us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So he cannot approve any excuse like this. The excuse makers condemned themselves, and their excuses was just a thin veil hiding the fact they do not want to go to the invitation. Because there is no rational reason why someone would not want to be part of this feast, just they did not want to. Three excuses were given. I bought land, care of the world. Five, field of oxen, deceitfulness of the riches. I, I, I married a wife, pleasures of the life. So each excuse is different from the other, but all come to the same result. We have other things to attend to, more pressing just now. I cannot come to the feast. Nobody here said, I will not come. But truly, all their answers imply that we will not come. Uh, they find excuses in order to justify why they are not going to the banquets. Then that servant came and reported this thing to the master. And here we have uh, how the Lord was like weeping or grieving over the first group, the religious leaders of Israel, for their stiff-necked stubbornness and rejecting him. And yes, indeed, he became angry. Angry because he was surprised at their response. It was strange and offensive that so many made excuses when they were given such wonderful invitation. So, if those first invited to the feast refused, but there would be still a feast. The, man, the master will not cancel the feast because this righteous or so-called righteous declined the invitation. So, uh, although the Lord resented the apathetic and unbelief of the Jews who were favored with his ministry and, and miracles uh, and, and looked upon them with anger uh, because he was grieved at the hardness of their heart. But he asked the servant to go and invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and blind. These are the despised and outcast of Israel, like the publicans, the sinners, the adulterers, the tax collectors. And we see that the Lord responded to the man's exclamation, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God, by saying, You admire 
the messianic banquet, yet are you ready to receive the invitation to come? Will you make excuses? That's how the Lord re- replied to him. Yes, you admired this banquet, but unfortunately you are making excuses not to come to this banquet. After the second invitation, the servant told him, there is still more room at the banquet. So the third group that was invited was the Gentiles. The Gentiles, nobody from the Israel expected them to be invited. So the third group who are not part of the community, like the first and second group, these are outsiders on the highways. But the third invitation symbolizes evangelism to the Gentile nations uh, of the earth by the servant of God. Still there is a room means uh, there is a hint that the kingdom of God is big and you will find people from all nations, all tribes, all tongues. And the master of the feast was determined that some would enjoy what he had prepared. And until the whole banquet is full. So our God with his burning love for our souls will never accept or plan a half empty heaven. He wants the heaven to be full, not half empty heaven. And of of those originally invited, made excuses, the master commanded his servant to use all persuasion when he said compel them to come to fill the feast. The word compel heal and compel them to come. Compel doesn't mean against their own will in verse 23, compel them to come. Doesn't mean against their own will. But they were Gentiles. They never heard about God or they don't know God. They worship idols. So compel means use all manners of persuasion to bring them. Compel indicate the great desire of God to fill his house. And because these wanderers and outcasts need to be convinced that they were welcome, they are compelled by his love. Because they have the feeling they are rejected. They are not the privileged people of Israel. So compel here means show them my love toward them. They are accepted. They are accepted like Israel. So in summary, the host of the banquet represents God. His home is the heavenly kingdom. The banquet is the banquet of the righteous at the end of the time. The servant of God, the servant here are the prophets and the apostles of God. First invitation was for the righteous or the so-called righteous, the Jews. Second invitation for the disadvantaged Jews who were the outcasts 
third invitation was for the Gentiles have been outside the covenant, but now they are included. The Lord said none of those men who were invited and rejected the invitation and made light of it will enter my kingdom. And this was the response to the man who said, Blessed is he who eat bread in the kingdom of God. So the Lord told him, are you, you are among the invited, but are you going to decline the invitation or not? Let's stop here at verse 24. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.